Welcome to the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, the untold stories of the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. I want to thank you for listening. And as always, please like, subscribe, and share this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Also make a review and it really helps our ratings. Uh, So whatever podcast you listen to, podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this, be sure to write us a review and share it with a friend. The intentions for why I started this podcast, I read at the beginning of every episode. Number one, to break the veil of silence that has long permeated and continues to strangle the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community in the name of neutrality. Number two, to validate and help clarify the complex feelings of those who have joined this lifestyle, were born and raised into it, and or who have practiced or taught kundalini yoga. Number three, to encourage active listening to uncomfortable conversations from our community as a revolutionary act of self and collective healing. Number four, to let survivors know that we see them, we believe them, we love them, and we will fight for their truth to be addressed. Number five, To let teachers who are denying, gaslighting, or spiritually bypassing know that what they're doing is willfully ignorant and re-traumatizing victims. Number six, to illuminate the inherent racism, homophobia, cultural appropriation, and exploitation that perpetuates the teachings, 3HO lifestyle, and overall community ethos. Number seven, to stop the perpetuation of gaslighting and victim shaming by naming it for what it is. Number eight, to dismantle internalized shame, guilt, toxic positivity, and lightwashing mentality. Number eight, number nine, to honor all of the parts of ourselves that have been forgotten or silenced. Number 10, to honor each and every body that has come through this community, both named and unnamed. And number 11, to encourage people to do their own research, process their own emotions, get somatic therapy and other therapy and support as needed, to draw your own conclusions and to be critical thinkers rather than to just blindly follow anyone. Please remember that your story matters. Please share it when you're ready. We're here to listen and to support you. So in getting started today, I wanted to say congratulations. It is 2023 and those of you that submitted your claim for the Independent Healing and Reparations Program, good on you. Woohoo! way to do it. Uh, it, is, it was a trying and re-traumatizing process for many, and um, it was not easy. It's a very courageous and challenging thing to go back and to visit parts of yourself, ourselves, that have been buried, or that we just remember differently and we're beginning to see through a new lens. I salute you. 
I also want to speak out loud that in no way do I personally feel that this reparations program represented even a sliver of the impact of areas of harm. It was a very small um, compartmentalized areas of, of who got to qualify for this particular area. It was mainly geared towards those that were sexually harmed by leadership, YB, or those that were children in this community that had a little bit broader of scope of harm. But overall, there are many, 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 many more people that have been hurt and harmed over many, many years. And this is what makes it institutional abuse. And I really hope that we see um, a, a much larger scope of reparations that happens for all the survivors of this community and not just segmented to um, those that were violated in very specific ways or that were children. On that note, I'm happy that this was here and that we had a chance to do it. Not sure where it will lead, but only time will tell. Before we get going, I do wanna share that there have been many, many stories um, that uh, many of you have come forward wanting to share, uh, second generation stories specifically. I've received calls and emails and we've had conversations um, but just not yet ready to come on the podcast. And I want you to know and always remember that your timing is always, always okay. I'm here for these conversations. On that note, at the end of this episode, I'm going to be announcing the launch of my new podcast, uh, which I'm actually bringing out to the public next week, um, which is a spawn of awareness from the last two years of interviews here on the Uncomfortable Conversations, the untold stories of 3HO, Kundalini Yoga Community. And with that said, even though I'm launching this new podcast, which is much more geared towards my own business and my own brand, um, I'm not going anywhere. This platform will remain specific to the untold stories of 3HO and Kundalini Yoga. And when you're ready to tell your story and you're ready for it to be shared, um, please send me an email at gn at gurunishan.com. And stay tuned to the end of this episode to hear more about this badassery that I'm about to launch. Okay, moving on. Um, I also want you to know I don't actively recruit for this podcast. Um, this work has actually been much more of a labor of love and healing for my own sake um, and for the sake of standing for survivors. Um, so sometimes you may notice, um, if I notice you sharing in a private Facebook group somewhere, I may reach out and ask you if you want to share your story on the podcast. And I also have a few ideas for curating some group conversations among some groups of second gen who I think would feel more comfortable talking in a group than on their own. So we'll see what 2023 brings for this podcast. But please know that this work is truly a labor of my love for my own healing and for the healing of others. And it's helped me grow and learn about this platform in and of itself, which has just, you know, rocked my world. And may we continue to see ourselves more clearly as we listen to each other's untold stories. And I thank you for your courage to heal, to examine yourself and to share it out loud when you're ready. This podcast and listening to your stories over the last couple of years has been a really huge instrumental element of my own healing and expanding into new awarenesses that has just been enormous for my growth over the last year, especially. Um, I've seen and heard how this podcast has impacted you 
I've read your commentary and I've gotten your emails and I really do thank you for listening. And I encourage you to keep sharing with others because when people are ready, they will listen. I'm wanting to just begin this episode topic with a review um, into our topic today, a a two-year review of this podcast. And going back to when I launched in 2020, um, I remember a conversation I had with uh, the person who runs Rishnots, and they told me to watch, watch yourself. Don't let them use you. I remember them saying, and, you know, I I honestly didn't fully grasp what was being said to me. Um, I did appreciate it because I knew that they had done a lot more work than I had in terms of really examining this culture um, as a cult that it is. I hadn't looked at it through that lens properly. And that was the beginning for me. Um, So it would take me many, many, many interviews later for me to actually land this very smart advice. And it's advice that I didn't have capacity to receive at the time because I was too entangled in the patterns to see the patterns. And, you know, that's a very trauma-informed thing, right? When we're, when we're in the frame of the picture, we can't necessarily see it. So that moves us into today's topic, which is first-generation fragility. And I don't bring this topic up lightly. I know it's a little cheeky. Um, because it is coined from the racial justice terminology and the book by Robin D'Angelo called White Fragility, which I hope you're familiar with. But if you're not, it is a state in which even a minimum amount of racial stress becomes intolerable, triggering a range of defensive moves. Robin D'Angelo goes on to say, it is white people's responsibility to be less fragile. People of color don't need to twist themselves into knots trying to navigate us as painlessly as possible. So I want you to get this analogy um, of white fragility to first generation fragility for those of you that aren't familiar enough. I'm gonna read a little bit from the book, Me and White Supremacy. So white fragility, um, to give some concept around it, It elicits reactions of white fragility that range widely from seemingly well-meaning to blatantly vicious. It is a lack of exposure to conversations about racism in this particular instance, lack of understanding of white supremacy, what it actually is. So if you understand, if, if your understanding of racism and white supremacy does not include a historical and modern day contextual understanding of colonialism, oppression, discrimination, neglect, marginalization at the systemic level, and not just the individual level, then you are going to struggle when it comes to conversations about race. You will assume what is being criticized is your skin color and your individual goodness as a person rather than your complicity, complicity in a system of oppression that is designed to benefit you at the expense of BIPOC or Black people. The lack of understanding leads to white fragility, either by lashing out to defend your individual sense of goodness or feeling that you as an individual are being shamed for being who you are and thus leaving the conversation entirely. So some examples in action of white fragility is getting angry, defensive, or afraid. 
arguing, believing you are being shamed, crying, or simply falling silent and choosing to check out of the conversation. Calling the authorities or acting as an authority. Deleting what you wrote on social media platform or physically leaving a discussion when you cannot handle where a conversation on racism is going. White fragility looks like a white person taking the position of victim when it is in fact that white person that has committed or participated in acts of racial harm. So this is an important part. The desire to be seen as good by yourself and by others prevents you from looking at the way you unknowingly participate in or a part of white supremacy because of your white privilege. Your desire to be seen as good can actually prevent you from doing good because if you do not see yourself as a part of the problem, you cannot be part of the solution. So what do we do? You jump into defense mode. You're unable to really hear and understand the pain and challenges. The focus becomes to defend yourself rather than be opening yourself up to experience of becoming consciously aware. White fragility thus makes you an unreliable ally. White fragility, which is really fear, can quickly turn into active harm. Like going into fight or flight mode, your white fragility can cause you to run away, shut down like a deer in headlights, or become more aggressive, violent, and harmful by striking back. Okay. So I went off on the tangent of white fragility for a second so that you could really feel and hear some of the, the, the impact, right, of unconscious behaviors that we participate in as white folks, whether or not we recognize it. And so for the purposes of today's episode and for this whole topic, I propose that we replace first generation with white people um, and that first generation is interacting with second gen. So the power dynamic here is first gen and second gen as the basis for this conversation. Now, I realize those terminologies, first gen, second gen, they're not exactly fitting, but just kind of give me, give me some room here where first gen is anyone who joined this sucker as an adult, right? And second gen is any kid that got brought in, okay? You were born in, you were brought in as a minor, sent in, whatever the unique story is. And for this purposes, this is the interaction. So let's bring it to first gen fragility. What are the hallmarks of first generation fragility that have exposed themselves in the last two years, whether on Facebook, whether it's in our conversations with, with aunties and uncles, on our parents and other well-meaning, heart-centered, compassionate, well-meaning 3HOers, Kundalini Yogaers, Sikh Dharmaers. All right. So here are some examples. Internal and external collapse when speaking about abuse topics that happened in 3HO or to us as children specifically. They can't, aren't willing to hear face the truth. There's just a collapse. Oh, we're such horrible parents. We should have never been parents. Uh, we were so young, that kind of stuff. Um, harm done to the children. Um, wrong choices and guilt about those choices. Enlisting second generation to soothe and support them as parents and aunties and uncles. Soliciting reassurance from second generation that they are the good ones and didn't mean to cause harm. 
seeking validation that their child is okay so that they don't feel even more horrible and more guilty, but not actually listening to the harm that was caused on their child or their children. Minimizing topics of conversation to, quote, happy ones. Not wanting to hear about the pain and the abuses of the children. Or the women. Uh, a form of self-attack. Um, so much guilt, so much shame, reeling in guilt and shame that you actually aren't present to the, the uh, situation happening for the one telling your story. Being extra emotional about the harm that was caused to your child, but not actually willing to speak or listen to it specifically. Saying that you believe survivors, you stand for survivors, but you're not actually willing or emotionally available to hear and listen to the stories, our stories, or our point of view at all. Being overly focused on your origin story and why you joined. Using naivety to make it okay because your story includes real naivety. We get it. But regardless of your position of leadership and the actual harm you perpetrated. Being overly focused on the fact that you were a victim, are a victim too, but not carrying that forward into ways that you perpetrated harm inadvertently or in a position of leadership as the architect of the systems and structures that ultimately abused more people and continue to abuse more people for 50 plus years. Focusing on your intention rather than the impact of your choices. The unwillingness to get uncomfortable about the harms that were actually committed in plain sight over the last 50 years, including the India school program that many adults that are our family and friends helped to institutionalize and normalize. Overly saying to your child that they chose to go to India when they were five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah. Um, spinning everything to the positive or staying neutral about atrocity and sadism. dismissing or avoiding topics altogether. And last but not least, because there are far more than I have actually been able to write down, uh, feigning support while not actually ever listening. So please hear me. If you are amongst this first generation group, you joined this 3HO culture, uh, I hear you um, and your story matters. It really does. We've heard many of your stories and I do so much value your willingness to examine yourself. Uh, so this episode and examining first-generation fragility is not counteractive to that. This is not an episode that is meant to shame you or blame you or flood you in any sort of guilt. Shame, blame, and guilt we're all heavy doses of what we all got in 3HO. And as children, we um, marinated in it. We grew up in it that we didn't even know ourselves outside of it. And many of your own stories are probably that way too, because of where you come from. Yet you are still an adult when you joined. So we all have our own work to heal in our own ways. And this episode isn't meant to be an assault, okay? 
The difference though, is we didn't choose this as adults. No matter your state of being or the age you were or the state of mind or your history, you did choose this on some level in whatever way that guided your life. And whether you like it or not, you may just be a perpetrator in someone else's story. A part of the healing process is being willing to recognize that simple fact and metabolize the hard truth of that very real reality. You can be a victim and a perpetrator simultaneously and in a multitude of ways. They do not discount each other or invalidate each other. So please, please be willing to listen and learn outside of your point of view. So with that said, um, I want to get into today's episode by giving us a bit of a two-year review. When I launched this podcast back in 2020, it really spawned from uh, anger that showed up in my body towards my auntie, uh, who was really one of my last ties or like uh, what felt root systems to 3HO for me. Um, she was who I took teacher training with, and I didn't feel like she was seeing or speaking to the abuse properly, and it made me angry. And what I realized in that moment in 2020 was that I had been taught to internalize anger and then shut up. And what I realized is I didn't have to internalize it, and I didn't have to shut up, but I also didn't have to direct my anger towards her. I could just start a podcast and broadcast the stories because I felt it was important. And so it was a, it was a, um, a healthy use of my anger. And um, I've learned in group therapy in the last two years that one of the highest forms of, 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 uh, of our anger, one of the highest expressions of our anger is truth telling. And so that just really hit home for me in terms of what, what spawned me into this podcast. So instead of being angry at her, I just used that anger as the fire and the fuel that brought this, these stories forward. And I wanted to um, publicize, bring forward the stories that were in private. You know, we were still in private Zoom groups and we were still in private Facebook groups and plenty of people weren't seeing the stories. And I realized I want a public platform where all these stories are in one place and people have a, a way to listen to it when they're ready. So many interviews later, a year goes by, all sorts of interviews. Last September, 2021, I did an interview number 39 that made me want to vomit um, during the episode, in fact. And there were so many reasons that this episode was horrible. Um, but one of it was her story was horrible and the abuse that occurred to her was horrible. But what made it worse is that it, it was literally a real-time story of teachers who were perpetuating the hiding of the truth or the silencing of the truth since 2020, because this young woman literally got serious around 2020. And within two years, she was being into an arranged marriage with a Punjabi Sikh in the New Mexico ashram. And to make it worse, way she told the story was full of the worst sort of language of cultural abuse and discrimination that any one of us who've ever grown up in 3HO and grew up wearing a turban and all the things, um, we surely faced. I mean, it was just some of the most culturally repulsive language, um, and especially to those of you that grew up in India. And so, I mean, I felt bad for the Española ashram and I wasn't even in 3HO anymore. So anyways, that's how 
that's how bad this episode was. Um, multitude of reasons. Her story was bad. And then the things she was sharing were extra bad. It was ruthless in exposing misogyny, cultural appropriation. And what I kept saying in that episode over and over again was whiteness. All I hear is whiteness. Um, but there was more and I, and I couldn't quite name it on the episode. And I was doing the best I could to hold space for her, her own story to come out. Um, but there was just something so off for me about it and I couldn't figure it out. And I, I could literally feel the metallic in my mouth. And so after that interview finished, I was washed in the awareness that the episode was chock full of racist rhetoric, abusive racist rhetoric. And because I had not done my own research and study on anti-racist uh, material and history and language and awareness, um, I didn't have the language to call it out in real time. And uh, it took me a week or so. I, I studied up. I read some books. And I was like, what? It just happened. And um, once I fully processed it, uh, maybe a, a couple weeks later, uh, the next episode I did episode number 40 was called white silence, exceptionalism, superiority, and the spiritual white woman. And, um, this book, me and white supremacy by Layla Saad, um, schools us on the words, language, and description, um, to call myself out and to call my previous guest out on racism and doing it in real time and not just staying silent and letting the conversation go on. Um, now, when I did that episode, I got plenty of opinions um, that many of you didn't like it, that it was very uncomfortable um, calling her out, all the things. And, and may, maybe you don't know, I did reach out to her to in, in invite her to be a part of it, and, and she was not interested. So I moved forward and that, that did that episode. And um, as confronting as it is to face our unconscious whiteness, um, it was something I felt and I still feel that it was necessary to do because this is how we uh, stop this level of internalized white supremacy. Uh, so it wouldn't be for another two months after that number 40 episode um, that I came up with another episode, which fully helped me to see the false identity that 3HO and why be the predator and this entire Kundalini yoga technology illusion really stands on. And that would be at the end of November um, was episode number 41. And I called it our shared 3HO identity of exceptionalism and otherness. And so this episode, you know, I was really starting to break down and see how my own sense of identity um, was so rooted in the exceptional story of my own whiteness that I didn't even see myself as white because of the growing up as an other and growing up as a cultural other um, has its its own whole bag of tricks. So that episode illuminated in what I call shattered much of my false identity. And it would take about another six months or so before this stuff started to really unravel. So um, this is so important for me to give you this kind of a backstory because unraveling this very, very false identity that I upheld with pride and vigor, the exceptional story of my unique life 
a lot of my amazing choices to travel and the things I've done in my life shaped my identity. And all of that is rooted in exceptionalism and otherness. So I personally found this a very, very hard thing to unpack um, and to unravel. And it really debilitated me for some time. We did continue with some more episodes, um, but it's been slow and it's been hard to see at times. And it's so finely infused into my sense of self and my worldview and every choice that I've ever made to travel and write and to love and to create in the world um, that seeing this as a false identity was um, a very hard thing to remain upright um, on an emotional level and a physical level, I might add. My whole backbone was starting to collapse because a false identity had kept me up. And so in order for something, the real me to be emerging, I knew I had to really let this part die. So I say all that to say that this backstory is important because it lays the foundation for what we're about to speak to regarding our parents' generation, this first generation, um, uh, or anyone who joined this community, not as a minor. I didn't really even start uh, realizing what was happening um, to me or within me um, until a fellow second generation uh, that I was talking to after an episode expressed disgust um, by what I was dealing with regarding a podcast guest. And so I want to go into um, what happened in 2022 was, uh, you know, towards the end of May. I um, had several guests. I had a guest in May and then a guest in June. And this created a, a real unraveling that helped me to um, start seeing and having interactions with first generation that were quite assaulting. And for the first time, I could feel it as assaulting instead of um, my normal adaptive pattern of soothing and consoling and um, taking care of, because that is my baseline trauma pattern of taking care of those around me, as opposed to actually having my own opinion, my own feelings, and having boundaries um, that I'm worthy of such. So I want to give you this backstory. Um, it involves um, Sat Peter or Peter Blatchley, uh, and it also involves Suzanne and Pamela, uh, because these were the main characters over the next you know, what, June and July that um, my interactions with helped to really crystallize into real-time sight interactions that were just uh, deeply embedded in trauma patterns for me uh, and for those I was interacting with. And um, it helped me to really start to um, name this first-generation fragility, which is why I want to go here. I do want to preface it by saying I have nothing against any of these people. Um, I, I actually find Pamela and Suzanne incredibly courageous, um, dedicated and committed in so many ways to um, getting this story out there. You know, the writing of the initial book, um, so courageous. However, you got that done, Pamela. I, I honor and commend you. Um, and, and then Suzanne picking up the pace to hold the space in the Facebook group. And, and more than that, I mean, she's just been relentless in her dedication to speak out about the pain of what it means to be a survivor, um, to hold this pain for so many years in silence, and to create as much space as possible to the telling and supporting of other people's stories. I honor you both. Um, it also doesn't discount the fact that you may be the perpetrator in other people's stories. And um, this is where I don't feel there's enough conversation happening around um, 
you know, Premka was a, an architect of the India program, all of her initial writings. I mean, there's just so much institutional abuse that uh, many of these position of leadership adults infused. And we don't see enough of that level of personal responsibility for doing those things. Um, and that's why I want to start with my episode with Peter, because what I love about Peter is he was one of the few first gen I was seeing that was actually talking about that full circle healing, right? That we got to actually own up to um, the, the impact that our choices had on other people, right? Um, so... When we did this episode, um, it I was excited about it because he's a historic character in the 3HO timeline, right? And it, I put a lot into getting this episode out there, a lot of groundwork and conversations back and forth. And he was very specific about what he wanted to talk about and didn't. And I, and I respect that. I'm not here to have you talk about anything other than what you say you want to talk about. And he was specific wanting to talk about this area of leadership, right? That there are people in positions of leadership that haven't spoken up about how they also abused. And so we were going to go there. And that was part of what he wanted to do. So in May 2022, when I did this episode, um, afterward, it was a great episode, I thought. Um, I get an email request from him saying, please edit out my opinion, saying my words. He wanted me to edit my voice um, out of our conversation in a particular section. And this is his exact words um, via email. First, I never said anything negative about Pamela, but the things you said made it seem as if I shared your opinions about her, which is not true. I was quite specific that I am not in a position to judge anyone and that each person has to come to their own decision about being accountable, apologizing, or making amends. Because I'm lifelong friends with Pamela since early 20s, I have I have to ask you to edit out your comments about her. It No, I have to ask you to edit out your comments about her. It was, after all, supposed to be you interviewing me, not you putting your own interpretations into it and making it appear as if we were in agreement. So let's just pause there and just say, if anybody's listened to any of my uncomfortable conversations, I always flip and pause and insert my opinion. It is called my podcast, and I have all sorts of opinions that I share. So wrong, wrong, wrong. But let's just keep going because he had more to share. The other thing I want to share, says Peter, is the general comment about your interviewing style. I found myself, especially when I listened back, rushing and speeding up my normal pace of speaking in order to prevent you from interrupting me constantly. At one point, I even had to say, let me finish when I sensed you about to jump in. These are your podcasts, so you can handle them any way you feel is best. But from the point, from the point of view of the one being interviewed, it would be quite anxiety. It would feel best from the point of view of the one being interviewed. It was quite anxiety provoking and caused me to lose my train of thought numerous times when you interjected your own commentary. And I am speaking as a highly experienced person who has been interviewed on many, many television and radio shows. That said, I think you are doing a valuable service, and I don't want you to feel in any way discouraged about it, but I do hope you will give some consideration to my suggestions. Most importantly, however, is that I hope you will trust and respect my wishes 
enough to take the time to edit out your own comments about Pamela. They were not appropriate, and I can't be associated with that perspective. All right. Thanks, Peter. Duly noted. I want you to know that when I read this, um, what was more interesting was my response, okay? Um, and I'm talking about my internal response, because when I read this, I was filled with so much vitriol um, and immediate uh, suppression of any sort of internal anger, and I immediately wanted to appease and make him feel better. Um, that was quite my own internal, it, it, it was a very childlike response, in fact. Um, <clears throat> so my commentary now in this adult self-present time is I can read through this commentary and be like, yo, like it's, it's a, a conversation, which means I do interject my commentary. And you obviously didn't listen to any of my previous podcasts because I do this regularly. That wasn't unique to you. And while you might not like my style, you perfectly have the right to not come on my podcast, right? But I didn't have all this surety when I when I was dealing with this back last June. Um, in fact, I just kind of collapsed into a child. And my immediate response um, was to appease, right? And it was to cater to what he needed. And, um, and then I realized, whoa, I don't need to do that because I immediately, um, I had talked to a second generation uh, person and then I talked to, in fact, the person who coined the first generation fragility, I talked to her after this conversation with Peter and she was like, first generation fragility. And I was like, oh my God. And it, it put me back in perspective. It's kind of like when you've always been gaslighted your whole life, you don't know that's not right. So it's normal and it puts you into this emotionally collapsed state where then you think it's your fault. And I feel like I've lived there where everything has been my fault in a state of, of frozen terror all, all the time. And I didn't know that this was a normal thing for me. So when I talked to her and she was like, first generation fragility, fuck that. You don't have to edit yourself. Um, she was like, it's one thing if he's asking you to edit his commentary, like he doesn't like something he said, but to say that he doesn't like something you said, that's like trying to mute you in your opinion. Then I talked to my older brother and he was like, uh, no, no, sis, you, you don't need to edit yourself. And, and again, just kind of like perspective, right? We, when one is abused, you don't know that it's not normal. Okay. So that was just what happened. My trauma response totally clicked in. I emailed him back um, with this 20 point email over explaining my position and my feelings and why he's so offense, why his letter was so offensive and demeaning and hurtful and harmful. And I'm giving him all these specifics. What I've come to learn in CPTSD is being the over explainer is one of the symptoms of not being heard, right? Of always being silenced by the adults in your environment or being emotionally neglected. So, anyway. After that 20 page play reply, um, which I wasn't saying I wasn't going to edit. I was just letting him know that I was totally offended um, and that I would totally edit out if he's not comfortable. But this is why what he's saying is harmful. And his reply, once again, was just some more gaslighting to me. Um, ultimately, the safety. Um, so more gaslighting happened. And 
that little short period of time, I just realized I was in total trauma response. And I had to just kind of pause and be like, what's my ultimate goal, right? This is what I asked myself. And my ultimate goal is the safety of my guests. My ultimate goal is the safety of my guests. If you're courageous enough to come tell your story, I want you to feel good about how your story is told. I absolutely do. If you ever don't feel safe, um, I've always made it clear that I will remove your podcast. Now, if you don't like something, that's another story. But if you don't feel safe, right? And I had to really distill down, like, what's my baseline? Um, ultimately, it came down to that the needs of my guest is what was most important to me. Then the safety of my guests is what's most important to me. And so I decided to edit out. I mean, it was literally like a 30 second interjection of, of me synopsizing, you know, how I synopsis, create a little synopsis. Um, and I edited out that little section and I made it clear to him that I would totally edit it out of his podcast and that I would absolutely be doing another broadcast where I explained this whole interaction. So this is not a blind side. I absolutely communicated this. Um, because one of the things I stand for is truth and transparency. And one of the things that we grew up in with 3HO and uh, Kundalini Yoga is secrecy and silence and pretending nothing's happening when there's a lot of abuse happening all around us. And the detriment of that on our nervous system and our freeze state um, and our sense of uh, normalizing abuse um, for me, I've had to just work very, very hard to reclaim the territory of my own body. And so I just let him know, I'm going to bring this out into the public, just so you know, but I have no problem taking it out of this episode. So we carried on. Um, I realized in that moment that I wasn't um, overly invested in having my opinion smushed up against where he stands. Where he stands is perfectly okay for him to stand. And I also felt like um, that it's quite common, what I consider a vulnerability high, when you come onto the podcast and you share your story and you share truths for the first time, and then you realize people that you know are going to hear it, we can go into a trauma response. It's a very normal thing. It's a vulnerability high and we get dropped off the cliff. And I kind of felt like he might be in that state too. And um, either way, the whole point is, I was like, no problem. Let's just edit it out and keep it moving. And I would do another episode. Um, and little did I know that that was just the beginning of illuminating a tsunami that was coming, um, over the course of the next month. So less than a month later on the solstice, I did an interview, great interview. Um, I wanted to do an interview on Ramdas Puri and then, uh, Gigi was vocal in the Facebook group. And I reached out to her and said, yo, you want to come tell your story? And she was stronger than I had ever witnessed her. Um, she was open. She had more language for things and what it felt like she was growing thicker skin and she was open for it. And she came and I thought she courageously shared her story. I thought it was a great interview. Um, and it wasn't just, but maybe 24 to 48 hours later, maybe 24 hours later, I get an urgent voicemail from Suzanne Jordan telling me that um, the we need to immediately take Gigi's episode down, that it could cause her harm to lose her chance of getting reparations please call me back urgently. And back to back, another voicemail comes in from Gigi telling me that Pamela told her that she should absolutely make sure I take down this episode of hers immediately um, and that I should 
make sure to destroy the episode. She literally forwards me this post that Pamela had sent to her telling her to destroy the episode, that it could get her in trouble and it could make her not receive her reparations. And Gigi, I'll tell you, is in a tizzy. Like, what the heck? Like, she's freaked out. And okay, back to my baseline. Who do I care about? I care about my guests, right? I, I care about the safety of my guests. I'm in a little flipping tizzy. I'm like, what the F did I miss out on in these reparations? Now, granted, I was not paying attention to reparations at that point. I knew there were lots of second generation that were examining and parts of the the group, the CRP groups or whatever. And I knew that if I needed information, I could get that information, but I hadn't actually fully gotten into reparations yet. So um, I'm starting to question myself. I'm starting to doubt in my own brain. Like, did I just get Gigi in trouble? Like, what the F? What part What part of this, you're not allowed to tell your story? And what does the Sikh Dharma board have to do with it? I'm like literally freaking out all inside. Um, and you know, am I missing that, that people aren't allowed to tell their story anymore? And like, Jesus. Um, and I'm thinking this is so 3HO, like who tells somebody they need to destroy an episode? Like, huh? Like what? And, you know, two urgent voicemails and people coming at, like, it, it was just tizzy in me for a second. So trying to figure out what to do. Um, immediately going into over caretaking mode, thinking that I have to like urgently respond to this urgency voicemails. I suddenly like settle my body down and remember some of my practices and I'm like, okay, I do not have an emotional or any obligation to Suzanne Jordan. Okay. She is not my responsibility. Okay. Whatever's going on for her, I will call her back sometime else. I do not have to do that right now. Um, because I was not in a healthy state. I was emotionally a wreck. And I was just doing the best I could. So then I realized, okay, no, I do need to do something with Gigi though, because I care for her as she was one of my guests and I don't want to be, have gotten into her in trouble or make her unstable in any way. So I send her a text and I'm like, look, it's okay. If we need to remove it, it's not a problem. Um, I don't know why Suzanne and Pamela are telling you this, but I want you to know that it's not true um, from what I understand. I'm going to make some calls. I'll call them both. And then I'll get back to you. And she's like, okay. And kind of, I just bought myself a day basically. So then um, I'm like calling second gen immediately. I start texting a couple people in second gen that I know are much more up on the, the reparations. And I'm like, is there a stipulation in the reparations program that we're not allowed to tell our story? Like, can somebody not come on my podcast? And I immediately get, no, absolutely not. That's not true. And then one of the people says to me, I don't know Gigi's story. And remember, this is second gen, but does she even qualify for reparations program at all? I mean, was she sexually abused because she wasn't a kid born in? And then I'm like, huh? So then I go look at the reparations detail by detail, more specifically to get clear, like what is going on here? Right. So maybe a day or two later, I finally have the energy and the capacity inside to make a call to Suzanne. And we set up the time to call. And um, before we even get to anything, I mean, literally just before anything, she immediately acquiesces. Um, she begins to tell the story that she made a mistake and that she really just 
had made a mistake, that it was her own triggered response, that she was wrong, that somebody wouldn't get in trouble for telling her story and that hearing it, it was so open um, and she was taking so much responsibility, um, you know, and, and people telling her story do that all the time. You know, a lot of times I'll jump in and, and be like, no, that wasn't you, right? That's institutional abuse, right? So that's just so normal. But anyway, so Suzanne's telling me this. And then she goes on to say that, you know, she, she, was, she was just triggered and overwhelmed and she's just really stressed out with the CRP group and all the groups that she's running and she's nervous about getting ready to tell her own story on the documentary series coming out and yada, yada. So I'm listening in disbelief, but I empathize because shit, this can happen to any of us, right? We all make mistakes. We all get triggered. It happens. And sometimes it happens and we impact other people. And the best that we can do is own it, make amends, say sorry, hopefully publicly come forward and not do it again, right? Break the pattern. So um, after that, I say to her, this is on our same phone call, are you looking at a different reparations program than I am? And she's like, no, I don't think so. And I say, well, you know, we, now that we've established that it's safe for someone to tell their story within this reparations program, where in this reparations program do you see that Gigi's story even qualifies for reparations? Because as far as I can tell, she doesn't even fit in either of the categories. And I want to know who told her that she did qualify in the first place, got her false hopes up, and then came around and attacked her after telling her story courageously in public that she should destroy her episode and remove it. So there's multitude of harms in this short little thing. And all I heard was silence followed up by, you've got to be kidding me. Are you serious? Oh my God. Oh my God. And just a slew of more disbelief and oh no's. And needless to say, uh, Suzanne informs me that her and Pamela had mistakenly told Gigi that she qualified for reparations, that it came out of a, a really well-intentioned group of women that were a part of the CRP program, whatever the reconciliation committee group that's been meeting for the last two years. Um, yeah. Uh, and she just says how this happened, that they were brainstorming on who to tell about the reparations and that, you know, Gigi's name came up and that nobody like really looked at the fact that she didn't qualify, right? And so she just kind of goes on and um, needless to say, um, that's what happened. Gigi, Pamela and Suzanne told Gigi she qualified and her and Pamela had then made her full of fear for telling her story on the podcast. And both of these things were false. And you know what? Both of them are very, very 3HO. So all I saw in this was not horrible Suzanne or Pamela. I didn't see that as horrible. I was like, yeah, I thought it was horrible, but horrible from a systemic point of view. Horrible that there's a pattern that's very, very 3HO that's in full on repeat. People who are survivors that are saying they're survivor supporters are turning around and violating and harming survivors by wielding false information in the name of power um, and quote supporting. Um, very 3HO if you ask me. So I asked at this point, <clears throat> I was tired and I was done. So I said to her, are you willing to talk to Gigi and make this right before I call her? Because I'm going to call her and I'm going to do a podcast on all of this 
Um, but I would love to know that you've communicated and, and circled back around so it's not just me with this shocking news. Um, and she said, yeah, she'd do that and, and that she'd touch base afterwards. That was kind of where we left it. So this is the, you know, this is a few days, you know, towards the end of June. Um, I maybe the beginning of July, I end up talking to Pamela as well. I called her to find out why she sent this horrible Facebook note to Gigi telling her to destroy her episode. And, and truthfully, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me, right? So I'm just calling the direct source to clear up the false communication because to me, that's the disrupting pattern. If we've been always taught to be silent and secret and, and speak through back channels, I'm going to open up those channels of communication and speak it out directly and confront the issue, all of us together, preferably. But in this case, I had to call Suzanne and invest time. I had to call Pamela and invest time. I had to call Gigi multiple times and, and email texts and back and forth. But let me be honest, Gigi shut down. She did not want to talk to any of us. And she was like, you guys can play that game. I don't want to be a part of it. So now it's like, as if we're against each other. Oh, it was horrible. So I want to acknowledge that you're, um, let me, let me back up. So when I did call Pamela, um, and I asked her about this, it didn't go well. Um, and I know she's older. I want to say she's in her eighties. I also want to acknowledge that, um, she's dealing with her own health crises and all of these things are true. You know, I, I didn't call to attack. I did call to get clarification, which is all of our rights, especially if she's jumping into other people's boxes, telling them to destroy episodes of my podcast because it's, it's going to harm them. So when I called her, um, she just, she kind of just freaked out on me. She was like, why are you making this such a big deal? And um, eventually she starts screaming at me and she's like, what do you want from me, Grunishan? What do you want? And I'm like, yo, um, I want you to acknowledge that you're causing harm with good intent, that you're accountable. I want you to be accountable for your mistakes and telling incorrect information and the trauma bonds that you wield with your historic power. She says, what makes you an authority on trauma bonds? And I replied, look, I'm not an authority on any of this. I am a mess, a trauma survivor trying to decipher it. I said, I am not an authority, but I am learning what it looks like in my therapy. And my next question was, are you in therapy, Pamela? Um, and I, I share all this to just say, because these are some of the interactions that made me start realizing the power dynamics that happens um, amongst first generation in the historical hierarchy of, of, of relationship, right? Who were in inner circle, what layers of power people had, and that a lot of these dynamics are still at play. Um, but it also elicited a trauma response in me, right? And then the opposite of that trauma response, because my trauma response was to shut down, was to come out louder, right? So y'all know I came out loud. Um, it wouldn't be, but maybe a little couple days later um, that I realized I had never heard back from Suzanne and I sent her a text like, yo, did you follow up with Gigi? And the reason that I actually thought about this is I had saw some weird post that Gigi had been kicked out of the 
Facebook group. I had saw this in like the wacky world group. And I'm like, wait, that is so weird. That means Gigi and Suzanne did not have a very good interaction. Like what the heck happened? And I'm not calling Gigi directly because she's already like set a boundary. Like, I don't want to communicate with any of y'all. Um, so I really wanted to, to touch base and, and hear things had gotten communicated before I'm, I'm reaching out to, to Gigi, if at all. Anyway, um, next thing I know, I have this kind of like short back and forth exchange on, uh, with, with, uh, with Suzanne, which, which just didn't leave it to anywhere, you know, it was, I think we were both just in our own trauma response. And I was getting real clear that I didn't have to spend more emotional labor on the phone with her. I just wanted confirmation that she had shared that her and Pamela had made that mistake, um, that, that they owned that, um, especially telling her she qualified for something and telling her that her story could get her in trouble for something she didn't qualify for all that. I just wanted cleared up before I bring it out. Right. Um, anyway, our exchange didn't go well. She didn't, I didn't want to get on a phone call and she didn't want to send anything via text. So she just, we kind of shut that down. And next thing I know, I happened to be in Phoenix on that same exchange. And my mom, I tell my mom, well, that was a horrible exchange with Suzanne. And she was like, that's so funny. Cause she just posted something in the Facebook group about how she's coming to all this new awareness and putting down her fighting sword and all the things. And I'm like, what? So that's what prompts me to go into the group. And, you know, I see this, you know, beautiful, benevolent post that's, you know, her centering herself for her growth and how much she's, you know, come along in, in this process and yada, yada, but nothing specific to the violation that had literally just occurred with a, a real trauma survivor that we all know has been violated financially, emotionally, psychologically, but doesn't qualify for this reparations program. And um, yeah, so I see that post and I respond to her benevolent post about herself. And my response is literally speaking to, uh, can you speak to how you caused harm? It's beautiful that you have an awareness to lay down your sword and to stop doing that. But how have you created impact in somebody else's lives? Who's also a survivor in the name of your helping. And, you know, it, it, it was a very sincere post and it was direct. Um, and I didn't bring up specifics specifically because these things hadn't gone public yet. And I wanted to make sure to do that, um, with intent. So again, really specifically, I do my post on Suzanne's post and, um, it, it, the first person to comment um, was none other than Peter. And um, it was just, it was so illuminating. So, you know, this is how it began. Um, this is Peter commenting on my post of Suzanne's post, right? And my, my commentary was literally take responsibility and accountability. And Peter comes in and it's pointed and it's direct and it's full of my own anger. And there's nothing wrong with any of the anger I expressed because it, it was literally naming the things that she was calling out on her own self. So anyway, his response was, I'm very saddened to read this post. It is markedly unfriendly and accusatory in tone and relies on non-specific allegations of harm done to others without any substantiation. 
I find this to be a dangerous and dishonest form of communication, though I am sure that was not your intention. You may have legitimate concerns, but voicing them with such vitriol towards Suzanne does not sit well. None of us is perfect, and I don't know a single person from 3HO's past or present who's not dealing with some level of damage and past trauma, and include myself in the sweeping comment. I would not have wanted to do what Suzanne has done for the two last two and a half years, providing a safe forum, untold hours and no compensation and plenty of abrogation. I find her comment above to be sincere and conciliatory, while yours is the opposite. I hope you can find it in yourself to be kind. Venting of anger, especially in public like this, is usually damaging to all parties. And in my own experience, love and kindness, kindness alone foster healing. So to this commentary, then comes Pamela. Oh, I agree. Oh my gosh, yes. And then Suzanne. Oh, yes. Thank you all. I feel so supported. And then a slew of other first generation come in. Oh my gosh, I can't believe Grinishan's doing that. And she's expressing such mean blah, blah, blah. And it was just flooding. And I was like, okay, I see you. Um, but nobody actually acknowledging the posts that I wrote and the words I wrote, because what I wrote made a lot of sense. Um, and what I was actually speaking to. Um, so that pile on happened and a slew of agreement commentary and all the things. Um, so then I come and just post all of these detailed facts of, of this history, right? The actual things that just went down with Peter and, and, uh, Gigi and Suzanne and the whole deal. So I immediately get kicked out of the Facebook group, right? Because she does not want me posting all that stuff publicly, obviously. And so I just proceed to avalanche the whole story in full on detail on my Facebook page. Now, I know this is a horrible form of communication. I don't even like Facebook. And the last thing I like to do is do this kind of public outing on Facebook, no less. Like, oh, let's emoji puke now. Um, but especially to those of us that grew up in 3HO, it is most uncomfortable to see public drama to a situation that seems like it should be a private one. Um, I, I think that we have such deep levels of indoctrination around silence and, and shame uh, coupled together that um, this sort of public outing was, it was so obvious by who was commenting on this stuff and who wasn't. Um, that was That was my take. And, you know, for me, I think what was most profound is none of it felt emotional for me. I wasn't emotionally engaged. This didn't feel like a personal um, emotional thing between me and Suzanne or me and Pamela or me and Peter. None of it felt personal for me. Um, it wasn't personal towards them. It was, I got pulled into a situation because one of my guests was, was given incorrect information and I was calling out the people in a public way, because doing it privately after investing my time privately, um, obviously didn't seem to work. It was still wielding power dynamics in a public private fashion that reminded me of predatory 3HO. So the discomfort was palpable. And in fact, I got, um, after, you know, after the dust settled a little bit, I got two reach outs from two different older second generation, quote, allies um, of the first gen or of Suzanne specifically, and, you know, really just offering to mediate with me and her. And I, I just found that so fascinating too, because 
once again, you know, enlisting second generation to do the mediation. I, I immediately asked, I was like, did Suzanne ask you to do, to, to text me? He was like, yeah. Um, and, you know, it was coming from a beautiful heart-centered space. So nothing is wrong with the reach out because as children of this community, I think that that's so much a part of the identity that's been infused in us is that that's who we are. We serve, we help, we, we make people feel better. And we definitely make people that we love feel better um, at the expense of our own needs most of the time, at least that's been my experience. So I loved the notion and the reach out as it really shows the heart of the children of our community, in, in my opinion. Um, and it was that it was it was the the dust settling from this situation that was like a form of of realizing that I didn't have to internalize this anger. You know, Peter's making me wrong for my vitriol and my anger and my communication, and he's using very subtle gaslighting communication um, as a way to to touch on the very internalized training of shut up if you don't have something nice to say, don't say it at all. And, um, you know, that has a lot of historical roots in a lot of places, but especially 3HO, right? Be, be graceful and put on a smile and all the things. So none, needless to say, that back and forth was its own mess. And I don't expect any of y'all to read that stuff. It's how come I knew that the second gen that were reaching out to me, I knew those two did not read the Facebook commentary. Nobody in their right mind would be reading that stuff because like, who reads all that? I mean, I thank all of you who stood up for me and supported me and all the things, but truthfully, this wasn't ever about me, okay? This wasn't a personal thing. I have nothing against any of these people personally. Um, I have a lot to say about the wielding of the power dynamics that you do, whether or not you're conscious about it. And as first generation, as adults in this community, you are wielding power with your horrible communication towards us. And it's not okay. Just like it's not okay for you to come on my podcast and speak racist rhetoric. I will not allow it. Not in the name of telling your story. I will call it out because we can tell our story without being racist. And we can listen and tell our own stories without discounting um, the young people that were infused in these systems of, of, of abuse that are still being acted out present day. So, you know, we as a community didn't learn how to feel or process our anger and, and we surely didn't learn how to tell or live the truth. So speaking this kind of stuff out loud is just wholly unacceptable in our whole sense of, of being, you know, we don't even want to look at that stuff. It's kind of like, uh, the indoctrination of, of slander and, and, you know, emotion, commotion and all that stuff. Again, I don't have anything personal against you, Suzanne, you, Pamela, I love and appreciate all that you've done and that you continue to do. And mostly I really, really hope that you're turning your attention inward more and more and supporting yourself and getting the support that you need because it, because you deserve support too. And um, I also want to say that there is also the abuse that Pamela and many other first adults, first generation adults have perpetrated on others, young and old, and to not speak to this does, doesn't get to the complexity of our collective and personal pain. So, you know, the dismissive attitude um, 
of how to actually remedy this situation that that false information was given to one of my guests you know, she was instilled with fear, with false information that I had to invest my emotional labor to correct. And then after all that, it still wasn't brought out into the open in some sort of a publicly made way. Like I made a mistake. I inadvertently gave wrong information to a survivor that we love and appreciate. And we didn't mean to do that. Like own that in a public way. And that's, that's what I wanted to see. Right. Um, I didn't know how it would come out, but you know, when, when an apology feels right, right? <clears throat> so essentially you can be a victim of harm and you can be a perpetrator too. And many of us are. So what happens in this state of fragility is your inability to process your own emotions so you spew it back on others to deal with them for you or to make them console you. So you make you the victim. And that's what happened in that whole Facebook interaction. You know, I'm pointing out that she caused harm. She's just saying, oh, I'm, I've learned all this stuff. I've learned all this stuff. And I'm like, no, what about the ways you've caused harm? And most recently, recently. Um, and instead of owning that, right, she just takes all the fanfare of her circle jerk, which is, you know, Peter and Pamela circle jerking around. And, you know, and that's, that's what I've been seeing. And a lot of other people have seen this, not just with them, but the way that we create echo chambers of people just uh, fanning our own flame of righteousness, that, that we're doing such a great job, instead of calling us out on where we're not, right? Um, so to make them console and support you, even though you just perpetrated harm and violated someone else, it's classic and it's, it's classic through HO, but it's also, you know, classic white fragility, you know, it's, it's crying tears when you were the one who just created the harm against somebody else. So <clears throat> I want to also point out that it took a little while, but Suzanne eventually spoke to it. She actually said, I just don't know how to communicate with second gen. And, you know, people were coming in trying to let her know that kicking people out isn't an effective way to create discourse. You know, what it does is it just cuts it off. And it's exactly what we learned how to do in 3HOs. We just cut off forms of communication that when other people don't agree with you. Um, and, you know, it wouldn't be until, you know, there was a rally of second gen to come and support me because I got cooked out of the group. And, you know, I, I appreciate the love. Um, and there were some OG second gen. I call them the OGs because they were like that first group. They're in their 50s plus. And, you know, I, I have to just, you know, shout you out because, you know, these two that came into the Facebook group to comment and, and to really communicate with Suzanne, they, they have a different form of communication, you know, not my piercing full frontal attack mode um, uh, of just, you know, raw dynamic truth telling in all of its vigor, um, but, you know, very clear and concise and, you know, slowing it down and using their thorough language. And I just really appreciated it. Um, but more than that, it's what landed for Suzanne. Like she was able to actually get how her communication wasn't being effective. And it was the repeating of abusive patterns that we all come from in 3HO. And she just basically realized she's not handling it well. 
And um, kicking someone out who doesn't agree with her is probably not the best method. Now, this is not new to me. There were other people who had, you know, there was a mass exodus of second gen from that Facebook group, uh, the, the Beyond the Cage group far, you know, maybe back in 2020, like kind of had its time for a lot of us. And then many left because they didn't feel like the voice of second gen was being included um, and being heard and being respected. And so a lot of us had left a long time ago. I've always just kind of stayed on the periphery. But I'm just pointing that out because there is a wielding of power when you kick someone out of a group, right? And so to watch the power dynamics that play out, ultimately she, she did understand that and those types of things and kind of welcomed me back in. But you know, it really wasn't the point because at this point, the rhetoric that was being spewed was as if it was between me and her. And it was never between me and her. I don't Nothing I said was ever against her. It was against the actions she did towards a survivor who happened to be one of my guests. And I was inadvertently brought into that chaos because that was my guest. And to me, that's what started getting me out of the pattern loop. I was no longer enmeshed in it. I could see it, but I was still kind of in it messily. Yes, I was overreacting and then I was unreacting and just like all over, right? Um, which is my right, right? It is my right. I'm just safeguarding my territory, right? Um, I didn't choose for that to come into my world. I, I got pulled in, right? So in trauma healing, we always have the right to not listen and to set a boundary. Um, where we go wrong, in my opinion, is wielding power, leadership, or authority, and then doing this um, with fragility as a form of not being accountable. So we can't take positions of power and leadership and supporting survivors and all these types of things, and then wield power dynamics and authority, especially predatory leadership and authority, or coming in like you have some sort of a noble thing to say when really in the background, you're wielding power dynamics that are unhealthy and abusive and, and not being accountable to them. And so if a second gen calls you out, own it, right? So here, um, that's my personal story of waking up to what was very real-time first-generation fragility. And on the receiving end of that fragility, um, I've been attacked. I've been gaslit. I've been made to feel like I'm emotionally crazy, that I'm the wrong one for having feelings of anger and disbelief and frustration, that there isn't a simple open line of communication um, when we just invested several different times of back and forth communication to bring something out to the open. I don't have answers to how we heal this. I just know that in my own body, I have to disrupt my response to that. And my response, my unconscious response is to appease the adults, to, to make them feel better, to do whatever's in their best interests. And, and I've had to track this back with a lot, a lot of fucking therapy later to the very, very deep instilled pattern that I'm unconscious to that runs me. And so that whole incident was a, a part of uh, seeing it and then realizing I don't have to participate. Just like black people can say, it's not my responsibility to teach you that. 
And as white people, we don't understand, like, why would they make such a boundary? And, you know, I hope you educate yourself on that. But in this case, it's not second generation's responsibility to make you feel better or to educate you or to teach you. Okay. It's your job to start getting and building capacity in yourself to metabolize and deal with your emotions so that you don't just attack, cut off, blame, or uh, trigger your way through it. Uh, relationships with people and, and then, and then brush it under the rug as if it's no big deal. So, yeah. Um, what I want to do next is I want, is I want to um, share some commentary from other second generation. I, I reached out to many other people to get their feeling and sense of what first generation uh, fragility means to them. I told you all my personal stories because those were like the major catalysts that started to like unravel um, these false identities and help me to see myself more clearly so that I stop um, fiending, fiending that I need nothing, right? And, and that, I, you know, taking care of everybody else is just fine and, and rather speak up and say, no, I have something to say and that you might not like it, but you know, here it is and that that is okay. So beyond my stories, I just wanted to share with you some of other second generation's thoughts on this topic. So here goes. I notice it a lot in the uh, first on first generation fragility by second generation. I notice it a lot in the big Facebook group discussions about 3HO. I find many in the first generation, even if they believe the stories about YB, are unable or unwilling to look at their role in perpetrating harm to others. I've seen many of them sort of collapse into emotional heaps when confronted with their actions and how they hurt other people and turn it around to make it all about them and their hurt feelings. I haven't seen many of them willing to take accountability for their decisions. For examples... Uh, for example, sending us to India or uh, Kalsa Youth Camp or other subpar care and really hear how that, was how that has impacted us and work to heal fractured relationships. Just like the comparison to white fragility, I feel like there's another parallel with anti-racism uh, idea of impact versus intent. I'm sure you're familiar with this concept, but basically the impact of someone's actions are much more important than their intentions. And usually digging in and defending your intentions rather than hearing about the impact creates rupture in relationships. So for example, if we allow the idea that the first generation thought they were making the best decisions and sending us away, the impact was not good for us. And overall, they seem to lack the ability to hear that and empathize with the impact of their decisions. This is a common concept in anti-racist and other social justice work, and I see so many parallels with the conflict between the first and second generation of 3HO. A step towards accountability and healing and reparations is to prioritize the impact rather than the usual defense responses that I've mostly seen. I also think there's something generational to this too. I do, I'd guess that most of the first generation are quote boomers. And I think the okay boomer meme definitely applies here. It seems to me that overall boomers are pretty self-centered and struggle to have empathy for others that have different life experiences than they do. 
I also think that there's a bit of a philosophy of suffering is a virtue among boomers. And that tendency was magnified by YB's teachings as well. So many of the first generation women have so much internalized misogyny that talking to them about sexual assault, not specifically by YB, but just in general, is prickly and hard for them to understand and take in ideas like powerful differentials, clothing choices. I've also seen that because of this, they have a hard time really seeing the existence of and the harm of the disgusting misogyny in the teachings and how that filtered out through the community to us girls who grew up in 3HO. Woo, I couldn't agree more on that topic. And it's not enough to just be like, I'm so sorry if, that if I ever shamed you in your life. Like literally in 2020, I had people come up to me. I mean, not physically, but online. I'm so sorry if I ever shamed you in your life. You know, and, and from a child, you know, from a point of view of a kid from this Dharma, like, yeah, fuck off. Yeah, you shamed us relentlessly. In fact, you were one of the worst shamers ever. And, you know, it's not enough to just be like, sorry. You know, the unraveling of the impact of that takes more time. So, yeah, well said, second gen. Thank you for that. Another one. The reactions from my mom to wanting to discuss early childhood abuse and now the cultural of, of abuse that was 3HO has been denial, you were not sexually abused, belittling, you just want to be a victim, shaming, you caused us to suffer and broke up the family, gaslighting, we left 3HO when you were 10, I was actually 25, and explaining my past as a part of what we as women suffer since she has trauma from her own life. I don't know a word for that. Projection, maybe? It is with utmost gratitude to myself that you all and therapy that I have reached a place with her stories are not mine and the way we were treated no longer seems okay. I'm learning boundaries. So <clears throat> here's some more. Again, these are all different comments from different second gen on their thoughts on first generation fragility. My mom always has huge reactions to my emotions, which makes it difficult to have any space for them at all. When confronted or saying anything, they melt, either in collapse or in attack. Ashram games they played with each other's heads affects this a lot, like slander, pinpointing one thing out of place and shaming and complaining. I'm not allowed to feel negativity or disagree with something passionate or irritated, frustrated or dissent. A tinge of a negative expression, needs or wants that counteract aren't allowed. If any second gen says something that comes up, we get guilt tripped. It's always all about them and how terrible they are. We shouldn't have even been parents. We're so terrible. Instead of feeling it, they don't talk about it. It's almost unbearable to feel and which just can deal with, and we, and we just can't deal with that. So literally a parent's response to the kid is it's unbearable to feel and we just can't deal with that. So it's like a total collapse response, <clears throat> telling us to get over it before listening to us about what went wrong. 
I requested my parents to avoid telling me YB stories or yoga solutions or 3HO wisdom, especially straight from YB, but they constantly fail. I often remind them mid or post story and tend not to push back too hard in the moment. The central themes for me are accountability, generalizing, scapegoating, and projection, and a large measure of cognitive dissonance. My mother declares that she effectively believes survivors' accounts, like she's not invalidating or disputing claims or experiences and acknowledges people were harmed and are sharing their truth. But simultaneously, she says that why the YB who harmed was a different YB than the YB who was her teacher. So survivor's truth essentially doesn't really impact her or change her personal experience of him or his teachings or what 3HO means to her. It really boggles my mind, actually, and I think it comes from the same place of denial, the idea that incorporating into her worldview the knowledge that her spiritual teacher preyed on, mostly young ladies, and propped up a system to perpetuate and encourage and reward grooming, physical abuse, sexual abuse, financial abuse, and so much more. It might invalidate her at it might invalidate her at least own actions and motives and beliefs and certainties for the last 50 plus years, or at least force her to sit in and live with and reckon with the implications of her life for the future on earth and elsewhere. The dissonance is just too much for me to try to have in-depth conversations about 3HO history or my abuses in India. I know I told my dad about sexual abuse. I think over 20 years later though, I'm not sure if I told my mother. If so, it would have been only in the last couple of months. I feel that many first gen I am in touch with are very deep in the trauma process. They are battling with the realities of their choices for their own lives while they also have the added weight of the guilt and shame of having raised their children in something that they are realizing caused so much harm. I think their process is going to take a very, very long time. And from our hearts to yours, um, we acknowledge that you are in your own process, just like we are in our own process. But I do hope that you listen to this episode and you take some of the um, hurtful responses and the centering and the emotional collapse to heart because it doesn't help the healing. Um, the attack modes, the way that you use the same very predatory power dynamics that YB instilled in this community and wield them in everyday interactions with us is hurtful and harmful and re-traumatizing. And while you may not realize you're doing it because like me, you could be so enmeshed in the pattern that you can't see the pattern, I want you to know that that's very normal. It's very okay. And it's one of the reasons why we all need a fuckload of therapy. And I don't mean yoga therapy. And I don't mean your yoga coach. I mean like a real licensed therapist. I mean like some therapy therapy. Get some somatic therapy. Something that starts connecting you back to your body. Um, in the meantime, a book that I know will be helpful for a lot of um, frozen first generation out there is The Tao of Fully Feeling. The Tao of Fully Feeling. It's by Peter Walker. He's the one who wrote uh, CPTSD and um, CPTSD from Surviving to Thriving. Been one of my favorite books in the last two years. Um, and with that said, I also want to encourage you to do group therapy. Um, I don't know if it's an option, but the last time I talked to the Trauma Healing Project, 
They had mentioned that there wasn't enough interest in first generation group therapy to hold group therapy sessions. And I just want to put a shout out to all of you of the importance of doing therapy together. Yes, I think you should have your own therapist, but I also think that doing group therapy in a first generation group setting it could be a tremendous exponent, uh, tremendous way to exponentially heal um, because we didn't um, get traumatized uh, singularly. Singularly, uh, we got traumatized relationally. So the more I learn about cult dynamics and the power dynamics wielded therein, uh, books like Escaping Utopia by Yanya Lalich, or another really good one is Love, Terror, and Brainwashing, The Systems of Totalitarian Control um, by Alexandra Stein. Um, these books help to help us see the power dynamics that we end up playing out because those patterns are so enmeshed in us and they're so linked to our own survival system. So it, it's not your fault. And yet the impact is still being made and being had. And um, I can't encourage you enough to reach out to the Trauma Healing Project and um, encourage them to have a first generation group. Reach out to 3HO, get them to sponsor this. There is absolutely no reason that more first generation should not be doing group therapy, private therapy. I hope you're getting reimbursed on therapy. Don't come up with a reason not to. We got so indoctrinated out of therapy. I know that's why a lot of you think you're all good. I hope you hear this episode and you realize you're not. Um, just like the last comment, we recognize that you are battling heavy realities and you're deep in your own trauma process. And, you know, this episode isn't for everyone. And yet every one of us is impacted by it. So listen, share it with a friend, um, do some group collective processing with a licensed therapist, um, because a lot of this stuff isn't your fault. And yet you also don't want to continue to um, perpetuate the same areas of harm unknowingly on new generations, because you can't see yourself um, properly. So with that said, I want to give you the email to the Trauma Healing Project. Okay, so if you're not familiar with the Trauma Healing Project, um, this was the an independent healing organization that was brought in by the um, the CRP groups. Um, it, you know, it was a it was before the representations program came in as a part of um, the initiative to do some group therapy, and um, they were you know paid through SSC over the last couple of years. And um, I don't know how that's continually working, but I do know that if you reach out to them, uh, you can inquire and ask, is there first generation uh, group therapy? And if not, can we get one going? And will SSSC sponsor it and write to them? And if you collectively move this and stand for it um, and know it's worth it, um, maybe together you guys can make this happen. So check out the website, um, healingattention.org. So you can learn about them, healingattention.org. Um, the email is D-M-C-I-L-W-A-I-N. It's um, D-M-C-I-L-W-A-I-N at healingattention.org. I'll have it in the show notes. So you can click on that. Email her um, and ask. This is the person that is the go-to person for uh, finding out if there's group 
therapy uh, second gen. I've been doing the second group gen therapy for the uh, last three or four rounds that we've had it available. Um, and I can't encourage you as first generation to do this collectively together. You'll be surprised at how much you hold that doesn't belong to you, but they are a part of the systemic abuse that you learned in order to survive and that you unconsciously pass on um, to all of those you around us, but especially to your kids, um, because you were trained to look to your children as the future. We were the strong ones. We were the powerful ones. YB reiterated that you were nothing and we were everything. And so it's no wonder this power dynamic is so weirdly infused that we feel responsible for soothing and making you all feel better at the expense of ourselves. Um, it, it's so twisted and it's so convoluted. I, I can't even get over it. And um, to unenmesh ourselves from it is complex and complicated, and it's not a one-way street. So by all means, this episode was mainly um, setting out to illuminate patterns of behavior that are spewing all over the place in your interpersonal relationships, in group dynamics, in these Facebook groups, um, on all the conversations we're having. And whether or not you can see it has to do with what level you're tending and building capacity inside your own self um, to see it for what it is, the trauma patterns that we all learned and got groomed into. Um, with that note, I want to leave one more option for you to get some healing. I talk about it all the time, but look up a somatic therapist. There is an online directory. Look for someone. I personally do my therapy online, um, but you can go in person. I just want you to stop making reasons not to and start making reasons why to. So that is HTTPS. Uh, colon slash slash directory dot trauma healing dot org. I'll put it in the show notes. On that note, we are going to wrap this up. I do want to um, say that I'm very, very excited to announce um, the launching of my new podcast, which will be next week, Wednesday. So tune on in and be sure to go to gurunishan.com, get on my email list. If you want to be first to be notified, um, please get on the list and we will be launching. So my new podcast is called Uncomfortable Conversations on Predators in Business, Community, and Culture, a podcast exploring the real life stories of predatory patterns in our everyday lives with episodes ranging from well-meaning white people to CPTSD and high achievers anxiety in a world that has a fetish for peak performance and positivity. Yeah, we're going there, folks. Um, I got a whole series of well-meaning white people that we are going to be dropping um, a few weeks later. Um, underneath this umbrella of predators in business, community, and culture. Um, this last two years has been uh, very illuminating and has given me a whole set of new language um, to speak to what I call the predatory formula. And this predatory formula is everywhere. We can't get away from it. And so the more we can learn to identify it out there inside us and all around us in our um, relationships that we bond with um, the more we can see things for what they are, right? And, um, and not attack things because it's not the thing, right? The thing is always illuminating what's already inside us. And um, anywhere you go, there you are, as Teddy Pendergrass always says. 
Um, so with that, I want to say thank you so much for your listening support. Um, thank you for your willingness to grow, get better, unravel, shed the past, shed the false identity, and show up as a much better version of yourself every single day. Um, please get on my mailing list at gurunishan.com if you want to be notified about my new podcast, and it's going to be awesome. And with that, it's been another episode of the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, the untold stories of the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. If you'd like to contribute to the podcast, you can make a one-time or monthly donation at gurunishan.com slash uncomfortable conversations. And remember to be a guest on the podcast, simply email me at gn at gurunishan.com. And please don't forget to subscribe, follow, and support my provocative truth-telling work at gurunishan.com. Thank you so much. And please share this episode with a friend, folks. Love you and talk to you soon.